Welcome, everyone, to the Parent Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Chikumba. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And today I'm joined by my always amazing co host and partner in crime, Lisette Trujillo. Hello, everyone. Lisette here, she, her, Aya. I've got to say, I'm really looking forward to our conversation with today's guest, Eli Rigatuso. This is episode 14, Lisette, and I feel like today's episode is going to be really special. So welcome once again to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Let's get started. Oh my goodness, Lisette. This weekend was an absolute blur. I am, I'm literally still trying to catch my breath. Well, don't leave me hanging. Tell me what happened. Fill me in on your weekend. Okay. So where to begin? Um, all right. So Friday night, I went down to DC to the Howard University soccer ID camp with Chima. Even though he's a walk-on for the season, the coach wanted him to come down and work with prospective players. And it was really cool because number one, I've been to a bunch of ID camps. And, you know, typically when we go, Chima is like one or two brown bodies on the field. And there'll be maybe, you know, 30, 25, 30 players on the field and nary a brown body to be found. Howard had 60, count them up, 60 students from across the country at their ID camp. It was like, it was amazing. They had enough people for four full-on games, five full-on games, 11 member teams. And the coach was like, this was probably one of the best crop of talent he's seen in his nine years coaching at Howard University, which was, you know, which was a thing. So I was happy about it. Chimo was happy about it. He got some really good looks. Um, he scored an amazing goal. Um, and so, you know, I was just pleased to see some really high quality soccer for the first time in a long time. That's super exciting. I know nothing about soccer, but I can imagine that it was like super fun. It was super you were fun. Scream- you were you were in your best, like Will Ferrell screaming at people. So no, in the corner. no, because no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I was not going to be that parent shaming their child because I was losing my mind on the sideline. So I was just quiet. I was up in the bleachers. I had my little like phone and my my tripod filming as much as I could. Missed a bunch of it because I do this, like the camera's here and I'm over here. And then I'll swing it quickly (laughs) when I recognize that I'm not paying attention. So there was a couple of those non-caught videos, but for the most part, it was was a good, good experience. Um, We got back Sunday and over the weekend, same time, Fuji had his um, fitting for his travel team. So if you've not been paying attention, my youngest son, Fuji, is 13 and he just went out for the Hamilton Predators travel team, soccer travel team. He made the team. And so now they're doing all the things and he got the announcement for the trying on of their away and home uniforms and all the other things that go along with being on a travel team. So we ordered him his kit. We got him his practice uniform. We got him his track suit. We got him his bag. He's number seven like that's the number we got i wanted number nine because that's the number of the striker or number 10 because that's the other number of a striker but those numbers are already taken so he's got number seven lucky number seven uh, i'm very happy for him and so he's going to be looking like a little you know messy in his full soccer regalia again he's very excited about that how do you do it all because you it like so i'm envisioning the northeast and so it's all like easy drives just getting around so 
yes, easy drives, long drives, because, you know, it's hours in one direction, hours in another direction. With Chima, it was all across the country. It, I, I was I was really like hating being a soccer dad with this dude because his travel team, it was like the Players Development Academy and the academy system is like a national system. So you're playing teams all across the country. This travel team is literally what they told us was it's just going to be the East Coast. So we may go up and down the East Coast. Hopefully we'll just stay in like the tri-state area. But who knows? Depending on how good the team ends up being, that will dictate what they get invited to and how far along they go. So we'll see. He just got started. You know, this is more about him right now than it is about me. That's a lie. It's more about me than it is about him (laughs) because I love soccer. But this is about him and he's very excited. He keeps asking me, when's my game? When's my first game? I was like, dude, just be patient. All right. Just go to practice. They just up the practices to two weeks. So that's going to be exciting for him. But he's very much like, like trying to follow in the footsteps of his big brother. So the one thing that happened, I was talking to you about this earlier, that kind of has me like in my feelings yeah. is my parents, my family is from Nigeria. And this past Christmas, went home, my youngest, my second to last brother went home with his wife and kids, and they had a great time. And I was watching them have a great time. And I was like, I'm going to bring my kids. And so I saved my money. I did all the things, going to get the passports, getting the Nigerian passports, making sure everybody's paperwork is in order. Last night, I went online. I did all the things for, you know, finding the flights. You know, there's there's no real direct flight from here. But if you go to Atlanta, there's a direct flight from Atlanta to Nigeria. So I went Delta Airlines, picked the seats, got the tickets, did both ways, had the whole itinerary planned out. And this morning I was just like, all right, mommy, I'm getting ready to hit, you know, buy on these tickets. What do you think? And she said, I don't think it would be safe for Hobbs to go home. Yeah. You know, and if anybody's been paying attention to the news and what's happening in Kenya or Sudan or Uganda or any of these other African countries that have been really hostile towards the LGBTQ plus community, people are being killed for identifying as anything other than cis males or females. And it, it, just broke my heart. I've been talking to these kids and they're so excited about going home. And now, you know, the reality has set in that it may not be safe. And, and, you know, I think the biggest problem is that because my mom has always been talking about my children, my children, my children back home, we show up and it's not two girls and two boys, but one girl and three boys, there's going to be an issue. And there's going to be an issue because people are going to be like, what happened to the, and they'll do the math and be like, oh, this one is not the same as the rest. And so that is going to be problematic. And I was just like, you know, in my naivete, I was just like, oh, well, you know, we'll just keep them hidden. And I'm like, I'm the first son. And this is the first time people in my village with my family back home are going to see my children and I'm going to hide them in the compound. Like that's, it's not even possible. So I was just like, oh, we won't go to the village. She's like, well, what's the whole point of going home? And the reality is that until all of us are free, none of us are free. And right now, as much freedom as my children have here in this safe blue state, they don't have freedom if their ability to move about this world 
is restricted because of our identity. And it just, it made me, made me a little sad. And now I'm scrambling because that was our summer vacation. Our summer vacation was going to be our Christmas trip to Nigeria. And now midway through the summer, I, I don't know what we're going to do. So can you bring your mom home, like to New Jersey? No, my mom is in New Jersey. My oh. mom is in New Jersey. And we we all go back home, home being Nigeria at Christmas. Like she'll leave in November to set up the house for us and she'll stay till March. And then somewhere around after Christmas, New Year's, we'll go to Animal State for like two weeks and then we'll come back. And so that was like the plan. That was she was gonna go. She's gonna do she's gonna be like the advanced party for us. She was gonna be the forward party for us, set everything up. We would come, have the time, live the life of Riley, and then come back. So but I'm not gonna cry in my soup anymore. What was your week like? I'm not well, I mean, first of all, I wanna acknowledge that that's bullshit and it's terrifying. And also we need to communicate in this podcast that the reason why these African countries are passing legislation is because we have religious dominionist Christians traveling and evan evangelical how do you say it? Evangelicalizing. Whatever. Evangelizing. The words to them and spreading the hate, right? And so they are being indoctrinated into Western culture, which is is this idea that of the binary and that trans people and anti-LGBTQIA sentiment, like that is being spread by these like white Christians that are infiltrating these countries and have been infiltrating these countries yeah. since forever, this right? Is, this is not new and, and, and this so, is bad. And so the violence that LGBTQIA people are experiencing in those countries is a function of white supremacy again. And people really need to connect the dots. So I want to acknowledge that because home for you is, should be a place where you can travel and your children can be embraced by your family and your village and your people. And to hear this is like devastating. And I, I shared with you earlier, I have a friend who they cannot travel to their home country either. And it's just, it's devastating. And it's, and it's exactly what you said. None of us are free until we're all free. But until we understand like how this hatred is spread and function and we are able to put a stop to it and get people to stop doing it, stop paying into their hateful churches that pay for these things to be spread. I mean, I don't know. It just feels like such a big machine. It feels so difficult. It is a know? big machine. It is very and difficult. So I just, I want to acknowledge your feelings before I Thank move you. into my weekend. No, um, I appreciate it. You know, for me, my weekend was kind of hard. It, uh, Sunday was the second anniversary of my miscarriage. And so Daniel was gone for the weekend. And it was kind of like this, like the typical thing that women are supposed to, like cis women are supposed to make babies. Like, that's just not how my body worked. And I only birthed one child. And so it was like this reminder that Daniel will be out of my home in three years. And it was like a very quiet weekend where Jose and I kind of just were like, what do we do? And I know a lot of people look forward to this time. Like they're like, we're going to be empty nesters. But I like love our little fam bubble. So I was kind of like in my feels as well. But it was a quiet weekend. We had Lane's fundraiser that was amazing because it was friends and community and like it was like the queer community queer fundraiser and so we raised the money we needed to raise my dj friend miss godin she was like you were at 2 a.m energy at 6 30 but it was because 
the AC unit in the <laughs> at the bar was broken. So people were drinking because we were like, oh my God, it's so hot. I'm like sweating. I'm going to have another drink. And then like three drinks later, because they don't drink that often, I was apparently 2 a.m. energy. And then I was in bed by like 10.30 because I was like, and I'm <laughs> one too many vodka sodas and I'm going to go to sleep. But it was fun. Jose and I had like a lazy Sunday. It was quiet. It was quiet. I didn't know how to feel about the quiet, but that was my weekend. So let me say first, you know, I feel for you. Like I, I know how difficult that must be when, when Chanel and I were trying to have kids, we had, we had a, a miscarriage and that was very difficult. So I, I really, I'm wrapping my arms around you virtually right mm. now. And I too have been thinking about this empty nest thing, but I realized that the way this world is going I don't know necessarily that I want to send my kids out into the world or I want them to have this mindset that they have to go out into the world and and forge for themselves and make their own way. I want my children to know that my house is their house is always open and they're always welcome. Like as much as I may complain, I'm like, oh, I can't wait till these kids are gone because then I'll have a clean kitchen and I won't be doing. The reality is that I want my children to feel like this home is always theirs and they're always welcome because I want them to know that that's not like a requirement. Like you don't have to be an independent person. And yeah, I actually do love my, my kids a lot and, and really do enjoy spending time with them. Even when there's messes and just chaos, like, I, I think I like that chaos and, you know, don't tell Nicole because I've been telling her. <laughs> <laughs> That we yeah, our retirement is going to be kid free. Mm. <laughs> You're like, sorry, they never left. I mean, sorry, we'll not sorry. Like, talk about a compound. Like my parents are divorced and we were like, if in our dream life, everyone would live with us and then we would right. just have to figure out how to keep certain people separate. But right. yeah, like that compound family life of like everyone together all the time. My sisters love that idea. My brother-in-law is always like joking around that they're going to come too and join our big commune. But yeah, like, I feel like there's a beauty in like a busy home, but like a full home, like not busy, just out of busyness, but like, like that fullness of like home, right? Whatever Absolutely. that looks like for people. Absolutely. But you know, before we get too off into our like compound living things, let's get to today's topic, shall we? Okay, let's do it. Can we talk about Arizona Republican Eli Crane, who referred to Black people as colored on the House floor? Like, as part of the debate around Republican amendments to the National Defense Authorization Act, this fool said, and I quote, the military was never intended to be inclusive. I absolutely love the way racists say the choir parts out loud. So... First of all, the crazies usually aren't from Arizona. So I was like, who is this Eli Crane? No, he was born in my city. He's my age. He's from here. But he's in the Arizona second district. I was like, "Mm, no, because usually like he was endorsed by Wendy Rogers. We know that Wendy Rogers is a neo-Nazi. She's traveled all over the country to different far right, you know, um, rallies and 
is a horrible human being. Like she has misgendered Daniel. She has done all the things we hate Wendy Rogers. And so the fact that she endorsed Eli Crane, I was like, mm, well, we know who you are. But you said, wait, 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 wait. Did you say that this fool is your age? Because what 40-something-year-old person uses know, the term colored? No, he knows better. He I knows better. It- but like people in who were born before him knew better too. So like it's just disgusting. And the fact that I think what makes this even more disgusting and like repugnant is that people voted him in. Yeah. You know that he's been saying this along the election campaign at like the different I looked at where he's from and where he lives. You know, he was traveling the little lodges and doing his little fundraisers and like utilizing this language and or coded language to gain votes. And so that means that racism is alive and well and he did not misspeak and he should be removed from office. We shouldn't really allow should. that shit to fly. We really shouldn't. It's it's very difficult to listen to members of our elected offices act in ways that are reminiscent of like the antebellum South. Mm-hmm. Like we are in 2023 and we have people like, you know, was it last year where the dude was saying we should include lynching, you know, as, as a, a form of capital punishment, like literally cracker. This is this is how you feel <laughs> with your full that. throat. <laughs> you know, and I'm saying I'm going to call a cracker a cracker because if a cracker <laughs> is a cracker does, then a cracker will be called as such. I am not mincing words. And again, if if we're coloreds, you're crackers, you know, and there's no history of of oppression and marginalization of crackers. Crackers are out here, you know, driving their pickup trucks and and having a you know the moonshine farms like whatever i'm not i'm not apologizing for crackers being crackers when we're actively being murdered in this country let's keep it 100 this country has a history of murdering mm-hmm. people that are not cis white males women well, are getting and murdered arizona has a history of lynching Come on now, right? let's and keep it real. People people forget that the Southwest did have this history of Black, Indigenous, and Latinx people, right? Like, the, there is a history of lynching. And, and, and I think that what you're saying is also, too, like, I shared an image on January 6th. Someone drove a guillotine down the I-10 to the Arizona State Capitol and, like, put it on, put it on the lawn. And I was like, no one thought about this. Like, no one was like, hey, that guy in his KB home is like making a guillotine and driving it down the highway. Like, these are things that we should critically think about. And people are not. They, they believe that we are removed from this racist history when in reality we aren't. I mean, ICWA was just being, you know, debated and there was a threat of it being overturned. Uh, in the latest SCOTUS round, right? Everyone, like I have a friend who's a movement lawyer uh, um, on the reservation locally here and everyone was worried. What will this mean, right? And so when we think about the history that people like to believe that we're far removed from, we have to constantly remind them. And sometimes I get tired of reminding people, right? Like 
Arizona should not be this place. And it's, I, I don't, when you told me yesterday, I was like, what, who do I need to call? What do I need to do? Because it's surprising and not surprising. And we should be worried that these things are being stated on our floor, but at the same time, the law functions this way. So we're like horrified is what I'm trying to say. We're like horrified. And yet this is the foundation of our country. So interesting. You should say that because there was a, a, a recent Newsweek poll. They polled about 1500 likely voters in the United States and 44% of the people polled felt that if you intentionally misgender someone, you should be charged with a crime. It was millennials, right? It was millennials. It was the younger generation coming up (laughs) thinking, you know what? If you see a person and you know how they identify and you choose to refer to them other than how they identify, Mm -hmm. that's a crime. And I, I was amazed personally because it's one thing to be, it's mean, it's in poor taste, it's transphobic, but it's criminal. That is yeah. a positive sign. I was like, get it, millennials. I'm for it. Do I'm it. for it. And so in the same in the same poll, I was a little dismayed because 17% of people felt that it was okay to intentionally misgender another person. And I'm thinking to myself, who are these demons? Um, who the are these people? people? Like Eli Crane <laughs> that are right. thrown around racial slurs all over well, the world. <laughs> what kind of society do we live in when you go out of your way to be hurtful? And, and again, it's going out of your way. The question wasn't if you unintentionally misgender right. someone. It's if you intentionally misgender someone. And you're going to do that like what kind of piece of absolute dung do you have to be to do that? Seriously. No, I agree. Yeah. Horrible person. Yeah. Horrible person. Horrible Head person. <laughs> Crusty inside. I don't know. Bad people. Crusty on the inside <laughs> and the outside. You can see him coming because of all the crust on him. Oh, yeah. nasty critters. Break out some shea butter. Get no, right. I'm not going to waste shea butter on them. They don't even deserve <laughs> shea butter. They deserve some just straight Vaseline. <laughs> Petroleum jelly, not even a name brand. Petroleum jelly from all. Get on hateful and crusty. Here's Sorry, your jar Aldi, of Vaseline. But your, your, your petroleum jelly is, is not the thing of, of uh, respect. <laughs> so, so wait, did you hear about the fucker Carlson replacement on Fox News? whose mom called into the show and told him not to talk about people's bodies. When your mom has to call your place of your pace of employment. Sorry, my voice cracked. Cause when I read this, I was like, whose mom calls. He's an old ass man. His so mom's wait. like, you better act right. Don't embarrass me on national TV. That's Jesse all we Waters, need to know. <laughs> Jesse Waters is the new host. Who's taken over fucker Carlson's time slot. And his mom, Ann Waters, is a child psychologist. And she called in the first day of his show, his inaugural episode, to give him advice, which included not tumbling into any conspiracy rabbit holes and to take less interest in other people's bodies. I mean, we just have to give it up to Ann Waters to like for recognizing where her son was now employed 
and the time slot that he was employed in and the person he was following. And she was just like, oh, no child is mine is about to be like the most hated person in America. And not while I am a trained psychologist who is trying to preserve the minds and the, the psyches of children is going to have a son out here spewing filth and hate, not on my watch. She was like, okay, son. So <laughs> I'm watching. Don't be a dummy. I love so that. A mother of a son. I was very clear with my child that um, I had an abortion. I had a child and I've had a miscarriage and it is my right to make decisions for my body, which SCOTUS stripped my right to do that last summer. But I think it's really important as mothers that we tell our children, right, that we move into a space where it's like, I have the right and ownership to make decisions for myself and my body, regardless of what society and this government tells me, I think it makes empathetic children. It gives, it informs them to know that they have to make thoughtful decisions about themselves. But, and I'm with her. I too would be worried if my kid went to go work for Fox News, I would be like, oh no, he's going to yeah. be the embarrassment of our family. Yeah. I'm sorry, Ann. I apologize to you now. In advance. But it's interesting what you said, because it really is incumbent upon parents to teach their children the right things to do. Like my goal as a parent is to raise good human beings, irrespective of gender or gender identity, irrespective of sexuality and sexual preference. Your job is to be good to other people. And it's not that, you know, turn your cheek and, you know, let somebody slap you twice. I'll be damned. Nope. You're going to know how to stand up for yourself. You're going to know how to advocate for yourself, but you're also going to know how to stand up and advocate for other people. For people who do not have the same amount of agency and privilege as you have, you are going to know how to treat other people in this society and to, to leave the world better than when you received it. That's your job. My inner motto that I live by is always Maya Angelou's. People won't remember what you said about them, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Always. Always. And our kids have to know that too. So I think that's a perfect segue to bring on our guest who really does know how to make other people feel good. Let's bring him on, shall we? Yes, let's do it. All right. So Lisa, I'm, I'm going to tell you ever since you told me that you were going to have this person on, or you're going to invite this person onto our show I was super excited. I'm really looking forward to our guest today. I'm so excited too. We have Eli Rigatuso, who is an Omaha, Nebraska native, identifies as a queer transmasculine two-spirit of the Mono Monomini Nation. I wanted to say that correctly. I can never say anything correctly. An artist, photographer, and video producer, director, Rigatuso has more than 30 years of experience in his field. Recognized as one of the Block 50 Over 50 Community Award recipients, is a graduate of Leadership Omaha Class of 42. Eli is the 2018 Fellow of New Leaders Council, recipient of the 2019 YP Summit Heartland Youth Pride Marsha P. Johnson Change Maker Award, an outspoken equal rights activist who has served his community in a variety of ways since the mid-90s, Rigatuso was instrumental in raising funds for the campaign against 416 in early 2000 and helped found as well as serve on the board of the Heartland Pride, a local 501c3 nonprofit which hosts the Pride's Festival in Omaha. 
A public speaker and facilitator, Eli strives to help organizations and local businesses create an open, affirming spaces for LGBTQIA2S plus people. Everyone, please welcome Eli Rigatuso to our show. I'm 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 doing a little fangirling here myself because I listened <laughs> to some of your podcasts and I love your show. I I think you're both amazing. I have so much to say about like your intros and your shares and just the way that you interact with one another. <laughs> like I'm over here going, this is like such wholesome content. But then then you switch to the turn. <laughs> of fucker carlson and and crackers <laughs> but let's be clear they're saltines not graham crackers not graham crackers I, I graham crackers meat. are brown <laughs> <laughs> had to toss a little humor in there to keep yeah, myself yeah. From, from crying right. too much. salty fine we can mean to the saltines <laughs> we're not picking on the actual saltines that's right, because we love them. <laughs> the comparison. Yes. To the crackers. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I mean, I'm I'm really honored to have been invited uh, to come on your show and have a conversation, um, especially as it relates to all of the stuff that's just been going on here in the States and, and otherwise, like listening to the story about you wanting to take your son back home and not being able to do that because of laws that are in place that it literally endanger their lives. And that's just so heartbreaking to me. And, you know, it's like my, my youngest sister moved to Florida a few years back just before the pandemic. And, you know, I've been wanting to plan a trip, wanting to plan a trip. But then after this last legislative cycle, I literally am like, I can't go to Florida. No, like, I can't cross that border and risk being harmed. I mean, most people who meet me and I just share my name's Eli Rigatuso, like I'll introduce myself with my pronouns and they just get it. But I still today can go places and, you know, go to get gas and I walk in and I get mammed. I mean, shut your I face. Had, You're making stuff own, up now. We had our own pride just this past weekend and I was misgendered at pride of all places. And I'm like, you know, I post on my Facebook. I was like, you know, it's one thing to be misgendered out in the world. It's another thing to be misgendered at a community event for people like me. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's like, I keep saying you know, because people keep asking me, why do you think you always have to talk about being trans? Why do you always have to educate people about this stuff? And I'm like, because even our own community, there are people that are still doing it wrong. And it's not like I, you know, popped off on this person that misgendered me. As a matter of fact, I didn't say a word. I just walked away. And then later he circles back around. He's like, God, I'm so sorry. Because I corrected him in the moment. Like I just said, he you know, and then I, I just walked away. Then he circles back around later. He's like, God, I'm so sorry. I, I did that. And I said, it's all good. Like, thank you for the apology. Just from now on at pride events, be sure 
right? Or maybe in life, like the millennials, or else you'll get charged with a crime. And I mean, you know, there you it, go. this is a great, <laughs> great example of just the amount of empathy that people need to have. Because again, part of where my evolution as a human took me was to not presume. And if you don't know, ask. Or to do what, you know, we did at the start of our show. Hi, my name is Steve Chikumba. My pronouns are he, him, his. And people are like, oh, I don't need to know your pronouns. Why are you sharing your pronouns? Well, because it makes it easier for people to identify themselves so that they are not getting misgendered and that they don't misgender other people. Like they don't understand there's utility to these types of things. And everyone's like, oh, you're being woke and you're being like, no, I'm being conscientious of other people who I don't want to harm intentionally or unintentionally. And why is it? It just seems like anything that that stands for the betterment of equity and justice is always somehow turned into a wedge issue. It's like wokeness is not a bad thing. I want to know, like people, people get frustrated with me because they're like, how many more letters are going to be blah, blah, blah. Cause I always say, I, I always say either LGBTQIA 2S plus, or I say 2S because I believe two spirit should be first 2S LGBTQIA plus folks. And they're all like, well, how many more letters, blah, blah. And they get all upset. And I said, you know what? I hope one day it's every single letter in the alphabet. And you want to know why? Because that means I have something else to learn about somebody else. Yeah. And I want to be curious. I want to be curious. I want to be excited. And I want to be that person that people can come to and feel comfortable enough to share their truth. Yeah. Like, let's talk about that for a minute. How comfortable are people to be honest and true and genuine with you? Yeah. If they're not, you're the problem, not the people yeah. around you. Yeah. You no, know, it's, it's that part that I don't get. I don't understand. You know, like you were, y'all were talking about communal living, like indigenous people. Mm -hmm. We've always been communal. We've always been a part of a community. We have had, you know, uh, multiple generations of family members living in our homes. Like that was the norm in America today. What is it? Nope. You get old enough to get kicked out of the house and then don't come back. Don't come yeah. back, y'all. <laughs> we don't have anything left here for you. And it's just sad because I feel like we're creating larger barriers between our own family members when we do those types of things. So you, you know, being you saying, I want my boys to know, Stephen, you want your boys to know you are always welcome to come back here. And let's say same thing, right? Daniel is always welcome back home. Daniel knows that if things get rough out there, he gets to come back to a place where he can land softly. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is so important. And that's what I think we miss out on when we, when we, continue to try to drive people away from us like we have the loneliest population right now and it wasn't just because of the pandemic the loneliness was happening before then the pandemic actually just forced the issue forward right yeah. yeah and i think about that a lot now because i mean i live alone 
and my partner lives about an hour away and we only see each other um, every once in a while because we're both very busy with our work and, and a lot of other things that we both do. And I used to have a couple of roommates, but they've kind of moved out and moved on. And, and I've thought about like, do I want, and I'm like, I don't want roommates, but I also know and acknowledge that there are times when I feel deeply lonely here because I work from home. Mm-hmm. You know, I very rarely leave unless there's something going on. And I'm an, I'm an old curmudgeon. I know I don't, <laughs> but I'm an old curmudgeon. Like when people are like, Hey, come to this thing. I'm like, how's the parking? <laughs> like what time does this show start? If it starts past nine, eh, eh. nope, eh, wrong answer. You know, because <laughs> I'm like, I'm in bed by nine. I'm asleep by 10. You and me you both. Know? And that's even on the weekends. <laughs> but I think it's just so important. Like, and I think that when you start to look at um, how people are marginalized, right? If mm-hmm. we start to look at that and then you add on, so you can be, a person who is white and LGBTQ plus, and it's not as bad as if you are someone who's black, brown, or indigenous and LGB plus, mm-hmm. and I, I should say just LGB, because then when you add black, brown, and trans mm-hmm. or trans, black, brown with trans, there there's a whole new thing that happens there. You know, we have, we have, black trans women being murdered at the highest rates across the nation across the world mm-hmm. and and people don't talk about that like i was just sitting here and thinking to myself there's this group that i follow uh that do and they're actually out of florida ironically but it's a it's an lgbtq plus news group right and it's like four or five white guys and a black trans woman <laughs> And I'm like, bless her heart for being a really? part of that. But it's like, y'all don't even notice what how much color you're missing. Right. Right. And that's the thing. And I see that everywhere. I see that in nonprofit boards. I see that in organizations that are providing support for the LGBTQIA2S plus community. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're proactively really trying to change that, though, either. Even when they bring it up, I become the guy who says the thing that nobody really wants to acknowledge, right? I become the guy who points it out. And then it's like, ah, who invited Eli? Exactly. <laughs> or, or I, like, so Stephen and I are on. Uh, as a council together, but I was always voted the one that would say it for the other people of color. And Stephen was like, would always be like, why are you saying these things? And I'd be like, mm, I got voted. I, I was the one, I was the most the designated the bunch. I'm the designated the outrageous thing sayer in <laughs> this call. So, You're the designated so you voice. The, you become the one that's the, the one that must be upset about it. But I think, I think that's when, you know, I, I, I agree. We get invited to tables and they don't really know that it's going to be uncomfortable to, uh, to create inclusion. Right. And I think that that's what you're talking about too. When you talk about people who tell you or push back, like why all the letters, like that level of discomfort. And the reality is, is that 
I thrive in discomfort. I actually want to be uncomfortable. Sometimes I'm uncomfortably awkward. Like when I've made a mistake and I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry. And then I feel deeply uncomfortable and I have to sit there and think about myself and I think about work, I more work that I got to do. Um, but that discomfort allows for like this growth, right? I was on Instagram yesterday and this person shared a reel, like had created a reel. And the reel said, there's an Arabic saying that the beauty you see in the world is the beauty you see in yourself. And I think about how, you know, scientists have said to live in awe or have moments of wonder are necessary. And when I heard that saying, I thought, when I see my child in his fullness, I see awe. And like, and, and he is a reflection of the, of my growth and a reflection of me as a person, not because, not because he's better or because of these things, but he, like, I think when we look to each other for growth and awareness, we are, and we can see the awe in someone else that we, we want to also be full, be our fullness. Right. And so I think I, but I do agree that we're, we've been conditioned to not be uncomfortable, right? Like for decades, but white supremacy needs that. You don't challenge things. You need to not be uncomfortable. Like you, um, and so when you're the person who's bringing that discomfort, it's like, people don't know what to do with it. And it actually, if you, and I, I was listening yesterday. I don't know if any of y'all have the pattern, but I just got it. It's like an astrology app, whatever. It was talking to me about my Scorpio moon in Pluto, but it was telling, it said something really interesting because I run a parent community um, and uh, a large parent community. And it said, you will, your Pluto gives you empathy, but Scorpio forces you to challenge people. And it said, it's just like this driving dynamic, right? Like, Pluto softens you into like surrender, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, but what it said is when people are triggered by your, by your challenging them, it's, it's the work that they have to do and not a reflection of you. And so, because I internalize it, like, I'm always like, oh, I don't want to make people mad. And then I challenge people and then I'm like, oh, I made people mad. Um, But I also want the world to be better. And I had to, and so I'm constantly reminding myself the hatred that people put out into the world is a reflection of who they are inside, the crustiness inside, right? And it has nothing to do with us. So like, how do we talk about that with youth or, you know, with our families? And you and you have, Eli, have mentioned to me on Facebook, like, the wonderful experience you had with your family, it was still challenging with your parents, but like they're supportive. Tell us about that because I know that's hard to disentangle, right? It's one thing to hear uh, an app tell you people's pushback is like their own shit um, and has nothing to do with you. And it's another thing when you have that enmeshment of family and love and you don't want to be rejected. What was that experience like for you? Well, I'll tell you, I've had multiple coming outs, uh, right. Cause you know, as you, I'm sure are, uh, intimately aware, Lizette, that. So when I was five, six, seven, so this is back in the early seventies. Cause yes, I was born in 1965. I know I don't look it. 
Uh, but but I am. I just turned 58 on June 25th of this year. Yay! Congratulations. And thank you. And um, so back when I was that young, I articulated to my parents that I believed that I was a boy. Well, this is the early 70s, right? I mean, Stonewall didn't even happen until 1968. So it was only a few years prior to that. And I was already acknowledging this to my parents. And they were like, mm, no, you can't be that. And there was a memory that I had of when I was young. My brother and I were playing. My brother was like my hero. I have a big brother. He's about two years older than me. He was my hero. And um, we were running inside playing, both wearing shorts, no shirt. Because, I mean, I'm six or seven years old. Like, we're all flat-chested at that point in our lives, right? We, I had long hair because I was born assigned female, and he had short hair because he was born assigned male. We're both first-generation born off the reservation. As young kids, we spent hours out in the sun, and very, like, I get very dark, when I spend a lot of time out in the sun, I don't do it as much as, as I used to, um, just because I'm really not, a, I hate being really hot. <laughs> Things change, right? But anyway, we're running around the house and he goes running out the front yard or out the front door. I go running out to, to go with him. And my mom grabs me by the arm and she's like, where are you going? So I'm going outside to play. And he, she's like, not like that you're not. And I'm like, what? Why? She says, you need to put a shirt on hmm. you are a girl. And so I did that. And I didn't realize until we fast forward to my being 50, which was eight years ago, and my finally realizing, oh, my gosh, I'm trans. Took that long to really do like, although I have been immersed in the LGBTQIA2S plus community for many decades. I, it took that long to truly begin to understand some of the other letters in that alphabet myself. And so I became the invisible boy that day when mm -hmm. my mom said that. So in 2015, at the tender age of 50, I, I watched a, an interview on 2020 and I'm not going to say the person cause I can't stand her today. I will gender her properly, but she is a horrible example of a trans person. But but I tell this story. Caitlin Jenner. <laughs> so, so Daniel <laughs> saw the same interview and I'll circle back. Okay. And so I'm watching this interview and, and it's a Friday night and I am literally like halfway through the interview bawling. My partner at the time is like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> And I'm like, I couldn't even verbalize it in that moment. But I knew as I was listening, I was like, oh my gosh, she's like sharing some things that had me reflecting back and going, holy crap, that I did that too. Like I'm getting goosebumps even now talking about it. So the interview ends and, and remember in the interview, she wasn't Caitlin yet. So she hadn't said anything about, she gave Diane Sawyer permission to dead name her. She told her to use male pronouns. That's fine. You know, and if you were part of the trans community and you watched halfway through, like it, Twitter blew up, people were so mad. And I was just like, you know, if you had watched from the beginning, you would have understood, but it's like, okay, whatever. Anyway, the next day. So here's my mom 
The next day, my mom, who's living in an assisted living facility, she has dementia. She is um, still pretty mobile and functional and does a lot of things and can do a lot of things on her own, but needs some prompting. So we had to move her to an assisted living facility. This is after she had lived with me for a few years, my partner and I. And I went to go talk to her because she and her BFF Shirley at the home would watch TV all the time. And so I get there and I'm like for giggles and kicks, we're sitting in Shirley's apartment. And I said, Hey mom, did you see that interview last night? That Jenner interview last night? She goes, Oh my gosh. Yes, I did. My favorite part was when she pulled her ponytail holder out of her hair and her hair fell on her shoulders. Oh, she is just beautiful. And I'm like blown away because here's this woman who can't tell you what she had for lunch if it was sitting in front of you, recalling something from an interview from a day before. Like she could pull things out of her hat from decades ago, but if it happened recently, like short-term memory is not the thing when you have dementia. And I'm blown away because she's getting the pronouns right. She's like totally described something that happened in the interview. Yeah. And, and she leans forward and gets all serious. She goes, well, what did you think? And I said about the interview and she goes, no, about your growing up. Wow. I'm like, I'm like, whoa. And, and, and at the time I didn't have some of the language that I have today, but what I said to her is mom, I really believe that I'm a boy born in a girl's body. And she says, oh, I know it. Ever since you were this big, you told me you were a boy. (laughs) And I am blown away because I'm like going, what? Like in that moment, all of these things that I thought I had dreamt about, that I didn't even really think were real anymore, just flooded in. And she just handed me this gift, this like affirmation. And I said to her, I was like, I said, mom, I said, yeah, I, I believe that I'm a boy born in a girl's body. And she's like, yes. She goes, I know, I know. And then she got all serious. <laughs> she says, I just need to apologize. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? She goes, I didn't know how to help you. I didn't know what to do. And I said, mom, I said, it's okay. She goes, well, and I'm going to call you Charlie. <laughs> You're like, that is not my name. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I haven't picked my name yet, mom, but as soon as I do, I'll let you know. But the most remarkable thing about her disclosing and sharing what she shared is that from that point forward, right? So this is 2015. And until mom died in 2020, because unfortunately COVID took her because her dementia advanced, we ended up having to put her in a memory care unit so that she could be more locked down and watched um, because she was, she was an adamant escape artist. Um, And so we had to get her into a facility where she couldn't get out. But um, from that moment, 2015 until 2020, Guess how many times she misgendered me, even as her memory continued to go. You're right. Never, Never. not once. Yeah. And it was because because she, she knew 
you know, like, and she said some of the most sweet things along the way. Like we were watching TV one night where we love to watch music shows, the music awards, and we're watching the music awards and um, a commercial came on for, uh, you know, Joey from Friends and he had his own sitcom when a commercial came on for that. And she goes, oh, how did you get in there? And I was like, <laughs> she goes, look at you. You look so handsome on that TV. And I was like, uh, that's about me. She goes, she goes, yes, it is. That's you. He looks just like you. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Then I was like, Wow. And then one night she invited me to spend the night. And I said, well, if I'm spending the night, I'm sleeping in this chair. And she's like, well, why would you do that? And I said, who do you think I am? And she pointed to a photo of her and my dad from when they were like 18 and 20 or 20 and 22. She said, well, you're that guy. <laughs> I know. And I was like, well, I'm half of that guy. The other half of you. <laughs> She goes, I don't have any of those. And I'm like, any of what? Kids? You've got four. I'm one of them. She goes, oh, oh, yeah, you're sleeping in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned the 2015. Daniel's social transition began in 2015. Um, but prior to his friend essentially outing him, we had obviously we'd seen things. And I we knew a parent I knows their child's heart. But um. Daniel saw that interview and I remember him telling us, you can do that. Mm. And, and then Jose was like, yeah, you can like some people. And we, we explained, but afterwards, Jose and I had like long conversations, like a long conversation around like, okay, there's so much footprint that Daniel is leaving. But, and, and I also think, unfortunately she's awful and has, really perpetuated to the rights to stain. Like she really plays into the rights to stain of trans people and she allows it. Um, and whatever inward inside internalized hate that she needs to work through it's, it's hers to own, but that level of visibility mattered for so many people, oh, yeah. right? You, she was on a peak show that was a social phenomena, right? regardless of what people want to say, like that show was a moment. It still is. I mean, they're still on TV. Um, and the well, amount and of visibility. Still, yeah. Right. And you can still find that show. I believe the whole yeah, episode is on yeah. YouTube and other places. So yes. And I agree. That's why I talk about it. Like, yeah, I, I, I think about it kind of circles into some of the other things that y'all were speaking about in regard to like, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Um, there are folks who unfortunately have been indoctrinated into believing that people who are like me are sick and wrong and bad. Mm hmm. And that's where the indoctrination is. So when people keep like people try to tell me that I've been indoctrinated into this LGBTQIA2S plus mafia and I'm laughing because I'm going, no, that's not how indoctrination works, because I was raised by a, a cis straight couple. I have three cis siblings and nobody ever talked to me about this. When I shared that with my mom, when I was seven, six or seven years old in the early seventies, 
there wasn't anything on TV. Leave it to Beaver was on TV. The Partridge family. You know, these are the shows that I'm watching. The Brady Bunch. I'm watching all of these shows that don't even reflect who I am in any way, shape or form, let alone talk about talk about the LGBTQIA2S plus community. That wasn't happening. So, so it's like I wasn't indoctrinated into anything other than what I know myself to be, who I am to my core. Speaking of who you are to your core, you are our first guest who openly identifies as two spirits. So for for all of our listeners who know nothing about what it means to be a two spirit, can you tell us what a two spirit is and how you came to this profound knowledge of self? Yes. Okay. So here's you know, I always try to say I'm going to give the Evelyn Wood speed reading version of my story, but it's impossible. So just bear with me. <laughs> so in the early 90s, right, I was a late bloomer. I graduated from high school in 1983. I started college at a tech school. It was a technical college back when I started college because my dad worked there. And so I got to go there for free. And I thought I wanted to be an architect. Turns out, nah. Didn't want to do that. Fast forward to like 1990, after I had a little hiccup and a road like went off on the side of the road, needing to uh, get sober and do some other things with my life. And I know today that a lot of the reason why I abused alcohol and why I sometimes still abuse food is because of my hiding myself on multiple levels. Because it's like, here I am in the early 70s disclosing that I believe that I'm a boy. There's no way to help me. So I got to hide that. Then I fast forward a little further and I'm going, well, I'm, I'm a girl, but I like girls. I don't know how to mitigate that. And there was nobody to talk to about that. Right. And it was like, it wasn't until I entered college when I started to build the muscle of telling the truth about myself. And I had finally decided that I was going to be out. One of my best friends uh, in college, my buddy Stephen and I uh, both identified along the spectrum somewhere, waited tables at the same restaurant. I mean, we were inseparable and I was in my high femme days. So I say that because I was ultra skinny, long hair, wore makeup all the time. Like I wanted everybody to be thrown off the scent of anything other than girl. I don't want you to know this deep seated secret because I don't want you to think that there's something wrong with me, right? Although innately, I believed there was something wrong with me and did a lot of work trying to unpack all of these things, spend a lot of time alone, have read a lot of books. So here I am in college, and I put myself in an African-American studies class and a Native American studies class because I wanted to learn more about things that I knew I wasn't taught, right? The only thing that I knew in regard to slavery was Roots because I was very young when that came out and I watched that and it tore me up inside to think that that was ever a possibility in the world. And 
so here I am in college. I'm in this Native American studies class, first day of class. My teacher is also Native American, hair down to his hind end, gorgeous man. And I'm sitting in class as feminine as possible, right? And he, first day of class, he ends, gets ready to end the class. And he says, hey, he goes, I need you to stay for a minute after class. And I'm like, first day of class and I'm already in trouble. What is going on? <laughs> I didn't do it. I swear, right? Because immediately I'm always guilty. So he says to me, everybody else leaves. And he says, you're two-spirit, aren't you? And I was like, say what? He goes, you're two-spirit. Do you know what that is? And I said, no. And he says, are you native? And I said, yes. He says, are you gay? Do you identify as lesbian? And I, and I'm sitting there like dumbfounded. Cause I'm like, like the guy saw through all of the facade <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I am. How do you know that? He goes, Oh, we just know things. We just know things. He goes, you need to practice because I am too. I'm two spirit also. And I was like, Whoa. And he says, we're going to learn more. We're going to talk more about this. And I'm more curious, but I'm so much more curious about the fact that like here I am now in college and I'm able to talk about parts of myself that I've had to hide, that I just became engaged in the community as far as like the rights of LGB people, right? I'm advocating for LGB people. And yes, I'm a proud femme lesbian, right? Because I didn't, I couldn't identify with the words lesbian or butch dyke like i those words didn't fit for me so i called myself gay for a long time too but there was a lot to unpack so as i'm trying to unpack all of this i'm seeing this school counselor and i'm telling her about how i believe that i'm 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 gay and i don't know what to do and she's like well it's not that difficult and i'm like okay so what do you mean it's not that difficult and she says well so have have you been with another girl? Yeah. She's like, did you like it? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, I don't know what the problem is then. And in that moment, she made it so simple, right? It was like, it was so simple. She's like, so you are, and you liked it. And what's the problem? And I, and I was like, wow. And we actually started to uncover some things around gender, but I never really truly got there. But as I started to continue to learn about my Menominee people, because here's the thing, I'm first generation born off the reservation. My parents, my mother was, her family was a part of the Indian Relocation Act of the late 1950s. Basically, the government made all these promises to any Native people who were willing to move off the reservation to further assimilate into society. And we're going to give you all these perks, which never they were never fulfilled upon. But it was to separate us from our culture. And here we are, you know, we go to the powwow, we would go back and see family that still lived on the reservation, but we didn't really learn anything about our culture and tradition. So I started to unpack a lot of that um, probably two or three years prior to coming out as trans. My cousin and I decided we were going to film our aunts and uncles, my mom's brothers and sisters, siblings, um, about their lives 
and about growing up on the reservation and what was that like and what happened to our culture and tradition? How come nobody speaks the language, Menominee language? And what we uncovered, like I thought we lost it when my grandma died when I was 15. Here we find out, no, they've always, it's like we've never really had it. Like my great grandfather lived in their home with some of my aunts and uncles. He was a fluent Menominee speaker. But because when they went to the boarding school, they were told if they spoke the language, they would be beaten. None of them learned it. And here I am interviewing my uncle and I ask him, what is your, your uh, biggest accomplishment? What are you most proud of in your life? And he says his military service because he enlisted at 18 because hmm. he wanted to send money back and help the family. He said he fought, he thought about it long and hard because he actually was kind of a father figure to some of the younger kiddos, younger siblings because unfortunately my grandfather was an alcoholic. And so he really was, he was torn. Do I go? Do I not go? Who's going to protect these kids? And then he decided to go and he was so proud of his service, right? They still to this day owe him a purple heart. That's another story for another show. But then he said, I said to him, what is your biggest regret? And he said, not learning the language. <laughs> and I said, wow, these two things are in direct opposition. You don't know the language because of forced colonization and assimilation, yeah. because of this military that you're so proud of and this service that you're so proud of, you know? And so fast forwarding to like, after learning some of that, then I became even more committed to trying to learn about my culture and tradition. None of the family really knew, not even relatives that were born and raised on the reservation. They were still disconnected from the language even. So I started finding things online, started teaching myself the language. I found a couple of books, unfortunately, written by saltines <laughs> because they got paid big bucks to do anthropology stuff in college and get their master's and their PhD and whatever off the backs of the native people that they were writing about. But at least I started to learn, right? At least I started to read about these traditions. And then I had an aunt who we interviewed and I would ask my, all of them, as we were interviewing them, one of the last questions that I asked is what do you think of me? Because I was the first person to come out in our family. I was known to be someone who identified along that spectrum somewhere. And I asked, and my aunt Eva, who was hilarious, she was all of like five foot one and just laugh, always laughing. She got real serious on me and she's like, well, I think you ought to just go ahead and be a boy already. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. And this was pre 2015. Like I have a recorded conversation with her video and all. And I said, my response even takes me back when I listen to it today. And I said to her, well, to be honest with you, if I could just get rid of these and I pointed to my chest, I would probably be really happy. And so I started on this journey through doctors because I was complaining of back issues and all these other things to get a reduction. Well, then after watching the Caitlyn Jenner interview in 2015, I'm going, I'm trans. 
I had already had an appointment set up with a doctor, a surgeon to do top surgery, but it was to me, to them, it was a reduction to me. It was like, just cut them all off. Well, you can't do that. He's like, that's not the kind of surgery I do. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do. So I end up getting referred to somebody else. Anyway, during this time, as I'm doing all of this, I'm also learning some of the Menominee language. I'm posting it out on the internet and out on Instagram and different things that I'm learning. And then this guy reaches out to me and says, hey, we're cousins. And I was like, how can we be cousins? I know all my cousins. He's like, no, we're cousins. He goes, I'm, I'm Menominee. My parents own the, the uh, whitewater rafting uh, company that's up on the reservation. I'm like, oh my God, we've always rafted. We go up there all the time. I didn't know we were related to you. Why am I paying to get in? And he's, la he's laughing. He's like, look, he goes, I see that you're teaching yourself Menominee. This is in 2020. He says, there's a group of folks. There's the guy that teaches it. Um, they're doing it online. They're doing it on Zoom. And this was after my mother had passed. So July, and as, as a matter of fact, it's right around this time that I was, I was sitting outside my mom's window as she was dying because I couldn't be in the room with her. And so um, I started taking these Menominee classes and the guy, so here's the other thing. I get into this Menominee class right away. He says, you're two spirit, right? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm not doubting it because you know what? We know. We just know. Your things. ancestors like, were calling it. Like everybody they sees you. Finding like these yes. ways to tell you. And then I said to him, I said, yeah. I said, but can you do me a favor? And he says, sure. He, I said, can you tell me what our Menominee people believe about people being two-spirit? And he said, well, before forced colonization and assimilation, we saw people like you people who are LGBTQIA+, plus, right? Anybody who identifies along that spectrum who's also Menominee is considered two-spirit. And he said, people like you back in the day held, were held in high regard. Yes. You were the medicine people. You were the therapist because you could see a relationship from both sides. You were... Uh, you were the prophets. You took care of children who say their parents had maybe passed in untimely deaths. They were given to the two-spirit people to raise. Mm. And so there were all of these things. And I'm thinking about my coming out, you know, the first time. And then the second time as, as being a lesbian. And then finally coming out again as being transgender and some of my Menominee relatives, people that I had known since the day I was born, rejected me too, except for my mom. Yeah. And some of my siblings and some of my siblings who did, you know, my youngest sister has always been like my rock. We're, I feel like we were twins separated at birth, only a number of years apart. And because she has always been so supportive. But I have always had, like I said, right, I, you know, my mom used to come into my room when I was younger, maybe in my early teens. And she would ask me, and actually sometimes younger than that, she would ask me about things that were happening in her life. She would share stuff with me. And she would ask me what I would do or what I thought she should do. 
And I would just say what I felt. And then a week or two later, she would come back and thank me and say, you were right about what you said. She goes, you are my wow. prophet. Wow. She didn't well, realize it, either what was yeah, going it, on there. And it goes into what you were told to spirits provided to their communities and their tribes. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, it really circles back to what Stephen talked about earlier and that, and that I reinforced and reminded all of us sitting here is that it's white Christianity, yep. right? That yep. it has infiltrated and forced assimilation. You know, you talk about language loss. That's the one thing Daniel always tells us. He feels, he feels we slighted him. He has said it multiple times. You have slighted me by not teaching me Spanish. And it wasn't on purpose. It's there's a specific way you teach by, someone to be bilingual that we mm. fail to do in the home, right? Which is one person has to speak one language all the time while the other one responds in the other language, in the opposing mm. language, so that someone becomes bilingual to that response. And, and we failed in that. I, I, I tell Jose, we really did fail because Daniel could be bilingual. But I think what people don't understand, and I just learned about this too, there was, um, I listened to this podcast called Anything for Selena. Um, and there was an episode about the repatriation under Hoover mm-hmm. and how he had repatriated 1 million Mexicans, even if they were born in the United States, right? Because people forget that borders shifted uh, it, it, over the course of 100 plus years. Uh, repatriated people to Mexico who have been born in the United States. And so people started actively refusing to teach their children Spanish, right? Which is still a colonized tongue. We still had lost whatever indigenous languages were spoken um, when colonization occurred. So it's just, I think, to honor everyone's time today, we could talk to you all day because everything you're saying is like, I think I've almost cried like and cried multiple times in this interview. But our, our final question would be, what do you want trans youth to understand, especially trans youth who exist at the intersections? What do you want to tell them in this political moment? Because I often say we need to quit quoting Trevor and the suicidality. We need to give our youth the will to live. Mm-hmm. There are elders who have lived who are still living, who have lived through hardships of not having legal access to care, of not being able to access housing and or work. How do we give them the will to live in in a forward-reaching outlook? What do you want those kids to know if they're listening? You know, here's what, first of all, I want them to know that they are beautiful, courageous human beings, creative, brilliant lights. And that to pursue what it is that their heart song tells them to pursue is what they need to do. And find folks who are going to rally around that and support that and help, you know, affirm that, right? And to hang in there, I know that there are a lot of young people who don't have supportive families, and I hope that they find shows like yours so that they can be tuned in and listen and hear that it is absolutely okay for them to be who they know themselves to be. 
and to hang on and to seek out other places. If you have access to the internet, seek out some of those connections. Look for me. Go to Speaking of Happy on Facebook and connect with me. I am happy, always happy. That's why it's Speaking of Happy to engage in conversation and provide support for people who are transgender, non-binary, gender diverse and expansive or two-spirit. And don't give up. You know, I, <laughs> one of my regrets, and it's a small one, it's not a big one, is that I didn't continue to pursue allowing myself to be authentically me sooner. I don't regret it that much because I also think about everything that I learned in that first 50 years of my life, which has informed myself to being a more kind, caring, and compassionate person. And I know that it's hard. I know that shifting the mentality around the gender binary and blowing that up is not easy. Because when I did it in 2015 at the conservative university that I still work at, I dealt with a lot of crap. But I know that everything that I had to walk through prior to that led me to that battle. Because guess what? I didn't leave the battleground that time. I stood firm. I stood strong. And I, and I thought about how I had built allies at the university, one being the actual president of the university. So when I did come out as trans and I had some experiences with her that were uncomfortable, but she always owned that she was doing the wrong thing. So when it came time for me to go have a conversation with her, because things were getting worse, not better with, within my own work group and the greater university and how people were seeing me and treating me. When it came time, I went straight to her and I shared with her what was going on, what I was experiencing. And I said to her, I go, have you ever wondered why I never filed a title nine complaint against you? Cause you've misgendered me. And she's like, you know, actually I have wondered. And I said, because every time you've done it, you genuinely apologize. And then you work to make a change. And that will win my heart over every time. You know, you're not, this is, I'm not here to tell the young people that life is a breeze because it isn't. No. It really isn't. There are going to be people who are going to treat you as less than human. Those are not your people. Get away from them as soon as you can. And yes. just remember, Lisette said it earlier, it is a projection of how they feel about themselves. And I know sometimes it's hard to, sh to shift the thought there, but if it does trigger something in you, if it does bring something up in you, there may be something else for you to heal. Do that work. Find someone safe to do that work with because it'll just make you stronger. It'll make you stronger. And then the next battle that comes along the field, you, it actually won't even be a battle for you. You'll get to physically see someone else fighting something <laughs> and you won't even take it on. You just keep walking and smelling the flowers as you go. And that's the part that you got to kind of hang on for. You got to kind of wait for, right? 
Oh my goodness. Just trust that it'll happen. Eli, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I, I just have to echo something that Lisette said earlier. We're going to have to have you back. Like we're 14 episodes in. I've already started making the list of who we're going to bring back because some of these conversations, they just go and then you look down and the time is completely like we've blown well past our schedule. But it's because the conversation was so good. It was because you're just such, we just clearly we have some positive energy going on. And if you've got the time, stick around for allies and assholes because, you know, it's going to be a doozy today. I will stick around. Thank you so much. Like I said, I'm honored that you invited me. Um, I've been a fan of Lisette and Daniel and Jose's for a while now. <laughs> like, I just love that Daniel has parents who are so affirming and supportive and loving. Like that just warms my heart. And I know that there's a lot more of them out there. And so it, it does make a difference for me, right? It also makes a difference for me. And I will absolutely accept an invitation to return and talk more. I've never been accused of not talking much. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Daniel will say that he, he says, I'm not allowed to call people elders. He's like, that's just mean. They're mentors, mom. Meeting, meeting trans people in his life that are in their 50s, in their 60s. He's like, that is a reminder mm. of life ahead. Right. Yeah. And so you inspire him too. So just thank you for your time today. Thank you for being here and for sharing so much insight. Like I hope that I know that people are going to listen to this episode and feel what we're all feeling right now. So thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. So now it's time for our recurring segment, Allies and Assholes, where we highlight individuals or groups that are supporting the LGBTQIA community on the one hand and call out straight up assholes who are trying to move us all backwards on the other. Lisette, who are we talking about today? Our ally of the week is the band Imagine Dragons. Imagine Dragons lead singer Dan Reynolds said that their concerts are a safe space for 2S LGBTQIA plus people. During one scene in the band's new documentary, Imagine Dragons Live in Vegas, filmed during a concert in the band's hometown, lead singer Dan Reynolds spots a fan in the audience holding a progressive pride flag. He grabs the flag and marches across the stage, holding it above his head while singing the lyric, I'm never changing who I am, from their huge debut single, It's Time. Now, this isn't the first time the band has shown its solidarity with the community, in 2017, Reynolds founded the annual Love Loud Festival to raise awareness of the realities of what LGBTQ plus teens face daily and to raise funds for queer charities across the country. Imagine Dragons joins pop icons like Lizzo, Beyonce, and Taylor Swift, who have spoken out about anti-LGBTQ legislation and shared messages of support for the community. And this is why Imagine Dragons is our ally of the week. Yay! Okay, congratulations to Imagine Dragons. Now on to our asshole of the week. Our asshole of the week is Christine Geiger. Christine Geiger is the owner of Studio 8 Hair Lab in Traverse City, Michigan, who said that if a human identifies as other than a man or a woman, to seek services at a local pet groomer. Not only did she say that trans people were not welcome in her salon, but that they were pedophiles and child groomers. 
And when challenged, she doubled down by saying that she had a First Amendment right to say whatever she wanted. And as a small business, she had the right to refuse service to whomever she pleased. She must feel really emboldened by the latest decision by SCOTUS. This type of hatred angers me. And I really don't have words that are appropriate for this podcast right now. I mean, I know we say some bad words, but I want to say a lot of bad words to Christine Geiger. And this is why she is our asshole. Boo to her. All of her. Well, that's our show for today, folks. I want to thank today's guest, Eli Rigatuso, for spending time with us today. And of course, I'd like to thank my wonderful co-host, Lisette Tulio, for rocking with me today and every day. Thanks, Steven. You know I got you. And of course, we couldn't do this without all of you, our listeners. So thanks for tuning in to the Parent Advocate Podcast. And as usual, please be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and do all the things to stay up to date with everything we're doing here on the Parent Advocate Podcast. If you are thinking about harming yourself, get immediate support. Please reach out to The Trevor Project and connect to a crisis counselor 24-7, 365 days a year from anywhere in the United States. It's 100% confidential and 100% free. You can get help at thetrevorproject.org. If you'd like to support any of the organizations working actively to support LGBTQ people, please visit the ACLU at action.aclu.org or the Human Rights Campaign at hrc.org. You've been listening to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Tune in again for another episode.